to the greatest combat sports and culture show in the entire universe. This is episode 169, and I am your humble host, the underground king, Serge Vicente, and we have an amazing show for you. Today, we are going to go ahead and give you everything the entire weekend breakdown so with that being said what is on today's menu on the menu absolutely we have to talk about ufc dc i have to talk about charlo and hogan But more importantly, I have to talk about the biggest combat sporting event in the entire weekend. Arguably the biggest sporting event of the year. We have to talk about Andy Ruiz Jr. versus Anthony Joshua 2. We'll also give her this weekend's winners and losers. Who takes the biggest bath of the week? And so much more on this episode, man. While that is being said, let's go ahead and give a shout out to the sponsor, Sage Eats Chicago. If you are trying to get in shape, you want a one-stop shop for everything um, health and fitness related, check out Sage Eat Chicago, man. SageEatChicago.com is your one-stop shop. If you are in Chicago, they cook and deliver healthy meals directly to your home or office. If you are not, that is totally okay. Sage Eat also offers fitness mentoring and nutrition consultation where a member of their staff will sit there shoot you in line write down your workout programming your menus everything they'll send it directly to you and help you out on a weekly basis check out sage eats chicago at www.sageeatchicago check them out everywhere on all social media platforms at sage eats chicago and uh, with that being said also check out the fight podcast man we have an amazing website as well www.thefightpodcast.com tell all of your friends about the greatest combat sports and culture show in the entire universe and that is us the fight podcast and wherever we're podcasting is available Apple, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, everywhere, man. Also, check us out, all social media platforms, at The Fight Podcast. Communicate with me there or my own social media pages, at Serge Vicente. Boom! All right, people. Let's go ahead and jump into the episode. (laughs) Yo, I hope you guys had an amazing, amazing, amazing weekend. It's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas out here. They had the, here in Chicago, they finally had the the tree lighting ceremony. You're starting to see all of the, the awesome, you know, decorations and everything everywhere. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I thoroughly, thoroughly love the holiday season, man. Um, as soon as December hits, I, I, I'm that guy, man. Every day before I go to sleep, I turn on a Christmas movie. 
I like I like the feel goodness of it, man. I, I like feeling nice and homey and nostalgic. It, it, it's my bag. I, I do, man. I really, really do. Um, so uh, so it's been it's been feeling like that a lot in Chicago. It's getting a little bit more brisk out here. A balmy 20 some odd degrees outside. Now, granted, uh, during the New Year's, when I know it's going to be cold. I'll be in L.A. But I mean, hey, who's who's counting? Right. I love it out here. I love the cold. I love being warm, man. It is what it is. Um, but no, nah, man, the weekend has been good. Everything uh, here in the city is amazing. Um, but let, let's jump into it, yo. There is so many fights that happened this weekend. And um, after we had a really, really, really slow two-week span, I'd say, it was about solid two weeks. Uh, the Thanksgiving holiday and everything. The end of November was super slow. Uh, the only thing we really had was the Wilder fight. In terms of MMA, meh, didn't have that much. Uh, in terms of um, in boxing, we definitely didn't have anything. But this weekend, there was a lot. There was a lot, and there was a lot of things that had throughout multiple weight classes that had ramifications, specifically heavyweight and middleweight. Um, but so let's let's just fuck it. Let's just jump into it, man. Um, before we get into boxing and the huge boxing match of this come up upcoming this past weekend, um, I definitely want to start off with UFC DC. And um why am I starting here, you ask? Well, fam, I got to get you guys to wait a little bit, man. I got to leave you wanting a little bit. And, yo, this UFC card actually was pretty dope, man. So it was a UFC fight night, fight like hell. It was a, and obviously I've spoken about this last week, um, but it was their, shout out, their, the entire event was in honor of the late, great um, I almost said Stephen. I said uh, Stuart Scott, the former ESPN analyst. Um, it was an ESPN card. His daughter even spoke. Man, all the videos that they did with it. If you haven't had an opportunity to check it out, they have an amazing couple minute piece done by Scott Van Pelt on ESPN, who was one of uh, Stuart Scott's buddies. Man, and they talked about his love and affinity with MMA and combat sports, as well as um, just how this event would have what it would have meant to him. So I loved it, man. And just because of that, again, for those who do not know, yes, I am a cancer survivor. So anything that proceeds go to cancer research and um, and help, I'm always all the way there for, man. So look, I loved it. I loved it. The event itself was entertaining. There were highlighted moments. There was drama. There was boring ass fights. Uh, there were draws. It was a little bit of everything on this card, man. But let's go ahead and start off with the main event. This event was headlined by the Reem, one of the greatest to ever do it, Alistair Overeem, by Everse Rosen Strike. Um, he's another uh, Dutch individual. He's actually from Suriname, um, which is in South America. But I believe that they are a Dutch province of some sort because Tyrone Spung. So many other amazing kickboxers are born. Um, Andy Rizdi. A lot of guys are born in Suriname, but um, they actually end up being Dutch. They speak Dutch. Never been there. I know it's in South America, but all of them are Dutch. So, um 
he trains with Henry Hooft uh, out there in Florida and over him has been everywhere. This event um, was headlined by him. It was in the Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C. All right. Headlining fight. Rosenstruck KOs the legend Alistair Overeem. Overeem was the number sixth ranked guy in the weight class on a two-fight winning streak looking to get back in the title picture. He's been looking amazing over the last couple months. Rosenstruck took this fight on 10 days notice. Less than a month ago, he competed against another legend and another former champion in Andre Arlovsky. Dealt with Buddy in... 18 seconds the fight before that nine seconds this fight was that step up this fight was a fight that he asked for and if i look at it i say it. he went out there and he actually got the ko but listen to this yes he ko'd over him but on all of the judges scorecards because he did knock out Overeem with four minutes and 58 seconds of round number five. Fam, that is one of the latest knockouts in UFC history. In a fight that all of the judges on all three judges scorecards, they had Rosenstruck losing four rounds to nothing. And I hear a lot of people asking a bunch of different questions. Yo. Is this a, was it stopped too early? Y'all, he was losing every bit. Is he ready? And all those things, yes, they go into account. But I'm going to be honest with you. First and foremost, let's start off with, was it finished or was the fight stopped early? No. Hell no. And the reason I say that is this. If you have not seen this fight yet, if you have not seen images of Alistair Overeem's face, oh my God. Yo, by far, that is the most gnarly cut that I have ever seen in my life. Yes, we all remember Robbie Lawler's lip after he went out there and he defeated Rory McDonald in that epic matchup, one of the greatest fights of all time. He had that slice in his lip and he was yelling, nah! you know and we loved it we saw it. we're like oh shit this dude was wild and it was his lip was cut but it looked nasty this cut literally happened the moment that punch in slow motion you saw this man's lip slip lip split and it wasn't just his lip that split fam when he got hit he looked like the joker his mouth was closed, but you can still see him smiling. I'm going to say it one more time. His mouth was closed, but it looked like he was smiling. Because you saw all of his grill. You saw his teeth. You could even see his gums. Fam, it went all the way up to his gums. And it wasn't a clean tear. It was just a rip. Oh, one of the most gnarly things I've seen. And Dan Migliata, the referee, literally he looked down. Overeem was out. In fact, he out. He did hop right back up. But if you saw it, one, in his eyes, he wasn't there. And two, he started stumbling the completely opposite direction of his opponent. 
So he wasn't there. It was an amazing stoppage. And and again, people are like, again, the first thing people said was, yo, quick stoppage. I'm going to tell you now, no, it wasn't. Now, should Rosenstruck have walked away after that one punch? He probably should have tried to land one more. We also have to remember he has not been fighting in MMA too long. He is a kickboxer by trade. Most kickboxers, guys, just like in a boxing match, if somebody gets dropped, you have an eight count. So a lot of guys, when they first come into kick or MMA from kickboxing or boxing, that is a bad habit that it takes them a little bit of time to break. So we'll see what happens with that. I don't see him making that mistake again. So the big argument that I've also heard is this man Overeem was, you know, was just beating dude's ass. This, you know, he he was winning from pillar to post. Uh, Rosenstreak is not ready for this level of competition. I vehemently disagree. I do. And the reason I disagree is think about this. Let's go through the mix, right? Let's go through the mix. Let's let's look at every the strikes landed round by round. All right. In this fight, Overeem was dominating the first three rounds of the fight. And if we look at the the numbers, significant strikes landed, Overeem 101 of 135, Rosenstruck landed 109 of 229. Well, that's weird. Everybody was saying that Overeem was out striking him and dictating the pace of the fight. Huh. Well, if we look at the numbers, he was outstruck. Why is that? Significant strikes. Overeem, 74 out of 105. Rosenstruck, 89 out of 209. Huh. So what you're telling me is that he landed more and he actually threw more. Mm-hmm. Overeem, two takedowns, one of the first, one of the second. Rosenstruck, the only knockdown in the fight, three seconds left. All right. The reason I bring these numbers up is this. The majority of the damage that was done by Alistair Overeem, where he was winning in all the statistical categories, was from rounds one to about round three and a half. But this was a five-round fight. And if we look at the numbers round to round, Rosenstruck really started picking it up in the middle of the third round, dominated in the fourth, obviously dominated in the fifth. So what that tells me is this, in terms of is he ready for the upper echelon competition, 1,000% he is. And the reason he is is this, not only is he a heavyweight, not only did he take this fight on short notice, he had the gas tank to go out there and actually compete for five rounds and he brings his power with him all the way throughout the fight. That is terrifying, especially for a schooled striker. And again, this is a striker who is a legitimate heavyweight kickboxing monster. He's a kickboxer first, so anybody who stands with him is going to have issues. Now, if he fights somebody who is the upper echelon wrestler in the division like 
teammate of Overeem and Curtis Blades, who was a Division I All-American wrestler from De La Salle High School here in Chicago. Well, then, yeah, that that's he has some work to do, and he definitely has some holes to shore up in his game. But the fight starts on his feet. And as we've seen with people, for instance, like a Francis Ngannou, who I'll talk about in a second, if you have devastating one-punch knockout power and you ha- you're uber-athletic, especially in the heavyweight division, you have a long way to go. Rosenstruck is also only 31 years old. Heavyweights literally fight well into their 30s. Almost close. A lot of them are even in their 40s at this point in time. He is someone who is going to be here for an extended period of time. Now, after the fight, he went out there and did something that I was very, very pleased to see. He went out there and called out the scariest dude in the division. After the fight, he said, you know who he wants? I want Francis Ngannou. Francis, it makes sense. Big, scary strikers. Big, huge black guys. And... Honestly, Francis has been looking for a fight. So this is what Rosenstruck said, and this is how he actually called out Francis Ngannou. What does a fight between you and Francis Ngannou look like? Nah, I think it's going to be a really good fight. Yeah, I mean, he's strong, he's big. Even when I'm going to look at him like, man, you're big, you're scary, but, you know, we have to do it, you know what I mean? Another knockout. For me, for sure. <clears throat> if I hit you, if I get that big out of him, yeah, he will sleep very good, for sure. Fifth round? One Fifth round? Fifth or first, you know, I said it before, we're going to dance for one second or we're going to dance for five minutes, oh, 25 minutes, and we just dance for 25 minutes. 24 minutes or something. <laughs> so I love what he said there because he definitely reminds me, not to the same extent, obviously, but somebody like a... Um, He's definitely somebody like a Deontay Wilder. We can fuck around for however long you want. You have to be perfect when you fight me. All I have to do is be perfect for a moment. Now, since then, the not the ream, should I say, Francis Ngannou was actually, I'm not going to say he clapped back, but he did say afterwards, he said this, I heard you, Baba Yega. You made yourself very clear tonight. Congrats on your comeback, by the way. Hashtag uncrowned champ. So Francis is here for the shits. A lot of people I've heard aren't about it. A lot of people I heard do not, are not happy with that matchup. I am not going to lie to you guys. I am not one of those people. I love it. I think this is a great matchup. I think this is a fight that needs to happen. Yo, actually, before I I, uh, I change subjects, I need you guys to hear uh, Jarzinho Rosenstruck's comments and actually how post-fight he called out Francis Ngannou. Can I was I mean, I want to be back like March, April, and I really want to fight this big, scary guy, Francis Ngannou. So if you hear this right now, I hope you accept this fight. Man, let's give those people a real show. Can I just... And fam, he's absolutely correct. That would be the show of shows. And I'm be honest with you, everybody at this point in time, 
who wants to write off Jardino Rosenstruck against Francis Ngannou, you are surely mistaken. Yes, Ngannou is a freak athlete. Yes, Ngannou walks around at 280 pounds jacked. He's huge. But guess what? He does not have the striking pedigree that somebody like Rosenstruck has. Not the same, but let me tell you about a fighter who has come in from a striking background who is currently dominating MMA. None other than Israel Adesanya. And we've seen how that worked out. All right, moving right along. The rest of this card was decent, man. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Um, I enjoyed it. The co-main event was Marina Rodriguez, the number nine ranked um, 115-pound young lady in the world. And she actually had a draw against the number 10 ranked Cynthia Calvillo. And Cynthia Calvillo is somebody who I am a big fan of. Um, I actually had her pick to lose this fight. She missed weight by a lot. And actually, this is the third time that she has actually missed 115 pounds in her UFC career. She was getting dominated this fight. Um, Mariana Rodriguez, man, is dangerous. She has quickly become one of my favorite female fighters in the UFC very dangerous she's a little older out there if people um, are noticing she's already well into her 30s and she doesn't have that many but she didn't start competing in, in mma even training till she was 26 years old um she's a beast uh she needs to show up her wrestling a little bit absolutely and that's the only reason that cavalio was able to get on top and kind of hold her down but also uh, that's a cavalio that actually was way heavier and again, it's something that we need to really, really look at. Right. Um, but the reason I bring this up and I want to talk about this is should Cynthia move up? Yes, she should absolutely move up. She has actually again, she's missed weight three times. And at the end of the day, she's ranked number 10 at 115 pounds. Right. At 115. Let me just go through the list of this. Weight, this weight class is stacked. And for people who don't enjoy watching female MMA, yo, kick rocks sideways, nerd. Because at the end of the day, this weight class is just as, if not more exciting than any weight class in the UFC. Let me just go down the list. The champion, Zhang Weili. Number one, Andre, who honestly, I don't believe she should be there, but whatever. Number two, Rose Namajunas, former champ. Number three, Tatiana Suarez, monster. Number four, Joanna Janjacek. Then it's followed by Nina Ansaroff, Claudia Gedelia, former champion Esparza, the karate hottie Michelle Waterson, and then you have the aforementioned Maria Rodriguez. That weight class is stacked. Now, on the other hand, I think she should move up because if you look at an opportunity to actually end up attaining a title shot. What is the pass of least resistance? It's definitely at 115. Or I'm sorry, 125. And that is the weight class. Now, granted, the champion, I would say, is the most dominant champion outside of Amanda Nunes in Valentina Shevchenko. But number one, you have Coogan is number one. Jessica I, number two. Number three 
is Joanne Calderwood. And the reason I bring up number three, Joanne Calderwood, because Cavallio has already beaten Calderwood in her career. So look at that and think about it. From the jump, if she moves up to 125, she should be in the top five. And even for her, this is what she said after the fight, because I think a lot of people are actually starting to kind of give her a lot of flack, deservingly so, especially after missing. So she was asked if she should move up. This is what she had to say. For me, it's just, you know, when I first got into the UFC and, you know, I did that fight in like, what, like I think it was like 10 days notice, but there's no women, there's no flyweight division when I got into the UFC. And um, like... That belt, that strawweight belt, uh, it just it just means more. It's just you know deeper. The, the the division, it's been around longer. The flyweight division is fairly new, so it's like I want that strawweight division, that, that strawweight belt. Um, but if my body doesn't allow me, that's fine. I'll go up to to flyweight. I I started fly as an amateur, started flying at bantamweight, and you know slowly started working my way down. Uh, then I fought twenty fives. I wish it was a 120, you know, pound division would have been perfect for me because the 125s, I can make that very easy and I can barely make 115. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I'm down, you know, I, I beat a bunch of the girls in the, you know, that are uh, flyweights already that are in my record, like Montana De La Rosa, you know, she's a flyweight, Jillian Robertson, she's a flyweight, Joanne Calderwood, she's a flyweight, Poliana, she's a flyweight, you know, so pretty much all the women that I pretty much fought, I've already kind of gone up, so, um, I'm not scared. I'm not scared to go to the flyweight division. I don't think I'm going to get, you know, you know, they're not going to be stronger than me. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. So the, I, I like that. And, and the, the thing I like about that is this. She she's right. She hit on the head. She's beat everybody in that weight class off the bat. She goes to flyweight. She already. She goes to women's flyweight. She's top five off the jump. And she doesn't have to cut as much weight. She doesn't have to torture herself. In turn, she will give better performances. I am a huge fan of Cynthia Cavallio. I think she needs to move up. All right, next fight. <laughs> Yo, this fight was against the two heavyweight dinosaurs, Stefan Struve versus Big Ben Rothwell. Big Ben Rothwell ends up getting the second round TKO um, of Stefan Struve via Nutshot. Yikes. That's right, good people. The reason he essentially, beginning of the second round, Big Ben Rothwell every bit of 300 pounds of them kicked the skyscrapers little testicles and my man hit the deck Stefan Struve is as tough as it comes Stefan Struve has had heart complications and has still fought through it Stefan Struve got kicked in the nuts and was rolling around on the ground like a baby yo I felt so terrible for him and you know he honestly just could not recover especially after the second one so the fact that he couldn't recover especially after the second one big ben ended up getting the tko um in the second round and i'm gonna be honest with you and look i will end up talking about dan miliata in our uh, fight news episode this week which will end up being episode 170 damn i'm moving right along 170 um but it's one of the things man it's like 
Um, Dan Migurata, and I, and I mentioned it for a moment during the fight, during the stoppage, he was trying to encourage Stefan Shrove to continue fighting. Hey, man, you know, you, you, you're probably up two rounds if you keep going. Hey, suck it up. It's okay. As opposed to probably just taking a disqualification in the win after getting punted in the nuts. Um, what does this fight do for either of their careers, Shrove or Rothwell? So nothing. Neither of them are going to really move. Um, honestly, do we want to see it again? Probably not. Will we end up seeing this fight next? We'll probably end up seeing a rematch. Um, all right. Number five ranked Asplin Lad ended up getting off the schneid. As we remember, the number five. Look, it's funny. Not only is she number five ranked in the women's 135-pound division, she is also the number five ranked ESPN poll, number five ranked MMA fighter under 25 years old, and that is Aspen Ladd. Her last fight, she got knocked out by former 145-pound champion and current 135-pound challenger, Jermaine Durandame. She got knocked out by one punch, but that was after a terrible terrible weight cut if you guys don't remember man you can go back and see she literally was on the scales shaking she had such a bad weight cut so she's back and she fought another extremely tough individual in yana kuyetskaya so yana kuyetskaya is a beast a former invicta champion and aspen lad look this was a tough 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 fight aspen lad actually ended up getting the tko 33 seconds of round number three now the reason i bring this up is this this was one of the coolest moments that i've ever seen in combat sports period everybody has seen fights where somebody one of the coaches are like hey fam you gotta dig deep if you want to win this you better go out here and do something aspen lad's coach reamed her yo this is far too close this is a close fight. You need to put pause on this chick and you need to go out there and win. So it was such a dope moment. Look, I'm just going to bring up the entire clip so you can hear this coach go in on Aspen Lad. Just standing there. I need a load more for five minutes. You have to beat her up for five minutes. There is no other x weight. Everything has you have to get on her ass and don't get off of it. You stay inside and you stay in that phone booth and you punch the out of her in her face. She's not gonna like it. Every time you hit her, she goes backwards. Punch her and don't stop punching her. Okay? You have to pick it up. And close the gap. You have to close the gap Aspen, you have to go. You everything you have for five minutes. You can't keep up with it. The moment you touch her in the face, it backs her up. Stay on it. Keep your back off the cage. And literally, bell rings. She runs. Dude, I'm fine. I got I got goosebumps listening to that. Like, so she said he says that. Yo, Aspen, you gotta get it. Bell rings. She runs across cage, punches Yana Kuyaskaya in the face, drops her with the very first punch she throws, jumps on top, ground and pounds the shit out of her. 33 seconds later, the fight is over. Holy hell. Aspen Lad is a star.
star. She is amazing. She is worthy of all the praise that she has gotten. Am I saying that the fight with her and Jermaine were was a fluke? No, Jermaine Durand is a bad bitch. No disrespect. Bad as fuck. She go out there and knock, knock, knock a nigga out if you ask questions. But Aspen Ladd is the future. And she will be champion at one point in time in her career. Now, who should Aspen Ladd actually fight next? And it made me think about it. I had to go ahead and look at all of the weight classes in and around it. And look, she is ranked number five. Does she deserve a title shot yet? No. But there is somebody whom she was supposed to fight in the past. Earlier in this December, she was supposed to fight Holly Holm at UFC 235 earlier this year. Now, Holly Holm is two and five in her last seven, but she is still a huge name. And I've talked about this a lot. You have to feed legends to prospects because one of two things happens. The legends beats the shit out of the prospect and the legend shows why they're a legend and they continue moving up and they probably get another the, their last crack at the title or the prospect shows that there's a new lion in town and now they're the ones that be, needs to be dealt with and they take that name recognition and they continue building off of it. Again, I'm going to say Stylebender again. Stylebender beats Anderson Silva. He takes Anderson Silva's fame. Conor McGregor beats Jose Aldo. He takes Jose Aldo's fame. Jardino Rosenstruck knocks out Overeem. He takes Overeem's fame. That's how it works. That's how you continue building your sport. That's how you continue building stars. And that is what MMA does so much better than boxing. Just call a spade a spade. It is what it is. Yep. I hope you're enjoying episode 169 of the Fight Podcast. Remember, each and every week, the Fight Podcast is brought to you guys by Sage Eats. Sage Eats offers healthy meals and fitness mentoring. Sign up for Sage Eats at sageeatschicago.com. Again, apply sageeatschicago.com. Apply promo code FIGHT for 10% off your first three months um they're here for all of your needs health and fitness related man so if you need fitness mentoring they got you if you need nutrition consultation they got you and if you live here in chicago they can cook and deliver meals directly to your home or office again check out sage eats chicago at sageeatschicago.com apply promo code fight for 10 percent off your first three months all right let's go ahead and jump back into the episode episode 169 of the greatest combat sports and culture podcast in the universe so great fight Great call from Aspen Ladd and her coach. Congrats. Uh, next on the card was the number nine ranked 135 pound man in Cody Stamen. He ends up drawing against the always dangerous Chinese top team, Sang Yadang. Now, yes, it was a draw. Do I believe it was a draw? No. We don't believe you. You need more people. Fam, this was a 
terrible decision. And the reason I'm going to say it's a terrible decision is this. Cody won. Cody won hands down. And I didn't even think it was that close of a fight. And the reason I'm going to say it wasn't that close of a fight is this. Let's just go ahead and, and, and pull up some numbers, right? Let's do it. Let's see what would have happened with this one. Because if I pull up the numbers of this, this fight card, again, it wasn't that close. How many takedowns landed? One guy did a lot of work. One guy didn't. One guy was out here being active with his hands. The other guy wasn't. Cody Stamen landed 117 out of 150 strikes. In comparison to Sang Yadang's 49 out of 127. And then, takedowns. Cody landed five takedowns out of Sang Yadang's takedown. Now, again, remember, I talked about this with the Overeem fight. You cannot... I repeat, you cannot sit there and actually look at a fight, you know, and from the outset, I look at the stats and say, oh, that, that's the fight in its totality. No, let's look at it through round by round. If I look at it round by round, it's even worse. Cody Stamen outstrikes Song Yadang virtually every round. Second round was tied 30 strikes apiece. But in that same round, Cody Stamen ended up taking down Sangi Dong twice. In the first round, he took him down twice more. In the third round, he only took him down once. But when he took him down, he held him down and landed 75 significant strikes to only six people. That's a 10-8 round. This wasn't a close fight. And the fact that the judges gave this fight a draw, fam, we need to fix the, the uh, judging in MMA. Not a good look. Look, I feel bad for Cody Stamen. Um, I'm a fan of Sang Yadang as well. Um, I Well, they probably, neither of them are going to move. One is ranked number 13, one's number 9. Um, will they rematch? Probably not. Um, is it a fight that I'd be willing to watch again? Absolutely. All right, and let's finish up with the rest of this card, man. I have to talk about the rest of the main card. Rob Font goes out and beats Ricky Simon via unanimous decision in, honestly, an extremely entertaining card, man. Um, my Puerto Rican brethren, uh, he's out of my boy Brandon Camille's backyard in Boston. So Rob Font, man, has incredible, incredible striking. He's beating some tough dudes. He's beating Sergio Pettis. Now he's beating Ricky Simone. He deserves somebody in the top five in that Bantamweight division. That's 135. Yo, Bantamweights, UFC is getting better and better and better. Bantamweight is fun because of this. They're big and strong enough to knock you out, but they're also super technical and fast, man. Great fights um, all in all, man. All in all, UFC, DC, um, Fight for the forgotten, for the tough, uh, fight like hell, Stuart Scott show, I think ended up being a success, actually a very, very fun card, man, and I actually will be talking about one more fight on this card in our winners and losers segment later on, all right, now it's time to talk about the rest of the fight weekend. And we have to talk about the biggest fight.
possibly of the year. With possibly the fattest freaking <laughs> heavyweight I've ever seen. Andy Ruiz ends up losing his belt and is defeated via unanimous decision by Anthony Joshua in Saudi Arabia. Anthony Joshua's record improves to 23-1 when 21 KOs. Andy Ruiz drops the ball. All right. Let, let, let's talk about it. And, and I'll be able to break it down in a little bit more clarity um, later on this week when we have our boxing guru, Brandon Camille, coming on later on. But I will say this. Is this fight more of Anthony Joshua winning or Ruiz losing? First and foremost, I want to give all praises to Anthony Joshua. He he went through, he probably went through the most in terms of emotionally, the embarrassment of losing the way he did, giving up in the manner that he did. He had to really go back and soul search and he really worked his butt off. He came in with a totally different game plan. He came in boxing, light on his feet, staying on the outside, staying staying on his bicycle. A lot of people were critical of him doing so. I'm not as critical of him doing so because, look, he got knocked out his last time out. He was trying to stay away and had a very schooled, very disciplined, very good game plan. So kudos to AJ and retaining his belt. But this was more of a manner of Andy Ruiz becoming a joke. Andy Ruiz just became a statistic. Andy Ruiz became a footnote in the history of boxing like Buster Douglas. He had an opportunity. And I still stand on how I feel about how the fight would have turned out if Andy Ruiz took the fight originally as seriously as he did the first time. So after the fight, Andy Ruiz goes out on the mic and literally says, oh, man, I got to apologize to my coach, Manny and my dad. And, you know, because they told me to be in camp. I trained myself. I partied for three months. I didn't take it seriously. I thought that it was going to be just as easy as the last time. What? Really? Dude. I, I was, so I picked Ruiz to win the first time. Obviously, I picked him to win the second time. I thought that somebody, and I shouldn't have. There were signs everywhere. And I, and I know I'm a little speechless right now, but there are signs everywhere. Bob Arum said the reason that they let Ruiz go was because of his lack of discipline. I believe that now that he finally had this opportunity, he was going to go out there. And I've heard the chirping. I did. Sergio Mora said it. Brendan Schaub, Sergio Mora of the Zone. I heard him when he was on the Chris Mannix podcast. He said it. Brendan Schaub on his show. He's been saying it. People behind the scenes were saying it. I don't know if Ruiz is taking this seriously, man. But me, I couldn't fathom somebody 
pissing away an opportunity in the manner that he did. And that's exactly what Ed Ruiz did. Um, he, he dropped the ball. He came in 20 pounds overweight. And yo, the moment this dude took his shirt off, he seemed like he was eating all the frijoles. He had all the chimichangas and all of the tacos and everything. He looked huge and just this, like sloppy big. It was a disgrace. He disgraced himself. He disgraced himself. He His footwork was slow. He couldn't pull the trigger in the same manner because he, even under his own admission, just wasn't prepared. Kudos to Anthony Joshua. Now, what did we learn about both? Well, what we learned is this. Anthony Joshua is a solid boxer um, who was able to, who, who is a champion. He's a true champion and we're happy for him. We learned about Ruiz is that he's a fat fuck and his, and he truly, he can make it up. Can he come back? Yes. Do I believe he will? Only time would tell. Um, did uh, where you talked about if AJ won Ruiz lost? I think Ruiz lost more than AJ won. And now here comes the biggest question of the time: Will AJ fight Wilder and Fury? And is he now the best heavyweight in the world? The answer to the second part of the question: Is he the best heavyweight in the world? Is resounding hell no. The only thing I continue thinking about, and something that Brandon Camille and I spoke about throughout the show is that when we actually looked at it and we were watching what was actually going on throughout the show the the fight we were saying if he fights like this against wilder super tall trying to stay on the outside trying to utilize his boxing not trying to engage as much trying to be safe he gets his face completely knocked off terrible matchup and honestly, I don't believe now that he has the belts again, I'm going to be honest with you guys. We never see that fight. That fight never happens. Will we see Fury? Possibly. But again, um, Joshua cannot beat him either. Stylistically, it's a terrible matchup. Guy who is taller, guy who is a bigger boxer um, and a better boxer. So as of right now, I personally, this is me. My opinion and my opinion alone. Oh, Serge, you're a hater. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm just looking at it objectively. Number one, number one A, one B, Wilder Fury. Number three, because of the belts, you have to say Joshua. But who I really believe is number three, I believe is Luis Ortiz. And then I put Anthony Joshua. That's my opinion and my opinion alone, but we will discuss that in further detail later on this week with the guru, Brandon Camille. Uh, also, this weekend, we had one of my favorite fighters in the world, um, somebody who I've talked about a lot. We're talking about Big Charlo. Jamal Charlo goes out there and defends his WBC middleweight championship against the very dangerous Dennis Hogan. He ends up getting a, he did what he was supposed to do. Went out there, got a seventh round KO. Um, Chris Eubank was on the undercard. Maybe we'll see that next. I'd be interested in it. But Charlo was calling out the Canelo Alvarez's of the world, the Demetrius Andrades of the world. So we'll see what happens there. Charlo looked amazing. He looked schooled. He looked determined. I love what I saw from Jamal 
Charlo. All right, guys. All right, guys. Now it is time for this weekend's winners and losers. And I have to talk about the UFC's Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell is a resounding winner of the weekend. Bryce Mitchell ended up defeating Matt Sales by second round twister. This is only the second ever twister submission in UFC history. The first was by the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung in the UFC fight night in Nogueira vs. Davis of March of 2011. Man, Bryce Mitchell, yo, look, dude, this dude is 12-0 in a very, very, very dangerous weight class. Um, he has he's 12-0, nine submissions at 145, three decisions. He doesn't have much power, right? But that's okay. He is also, again, nasty on the ground, uh, from Kentucky. But my man is even better on the mic. And this fight should have given him the opportunity to fight somebody in the top 15. Who do I believe he should fight? I think he has to fight the submission specialist, the boogeyman at 145, the number 15 ranked Ryan Hall. I personally think that would be an amazing fight. Two amazing grapplers, two guys who aren't are not afraid of engaging there. But more importantly, man, I think he's a winner. Because I think this dude is great on the mic, man. And I think he has star quality and star potential all over him. This is what he had to say after his fight of getting the second ever Twister submission in UFC history. You know my favorite movie from the 90s? Twister. What's your favorite part, yeah? Twister. <laughs> What's your favorite submission? Twister. But yeah, man, uh, that's something I do in practice a lot. I've seen Eddie Bravo doing it on YouTube. And uh, practice it, practice it, practice Remember every step that he told me. I even know the Peruvian twister. The uh, It's a tighter version, how to really tighten it up. So I really paid attention to that video. So shout out Eddie Bravo. And, uh, yeah, that's where I got it from. And then me and my teammates are always working on it. And uh, it's a good ground and pound spot, too. If you don't, you know, want to go for the sub, you can just punch them. They can't even do anything. You can just punch them from there. But I knew I didn't have a lot of time left, so I just wanted to go straight for a submission. You know, my fa- Fam, he's fun, he's engaging, he has that super southern draw. People are going to really get behind this kid. Every time I see him perform, I like him more and more. Bryce Mitchell fights in the UFC's 145-pound weight class. Look him up. He is the biggest winner of this weekend. Now... Whom, might you ask, is the biggest loser? And we all know it's the person who didn't lose the most amount of weight. The person who needs to lose the most amount of weight. Andy Ruiz Jr. I know I just talked about it. I know. And again, I'm going to talk about it more later on this week. I am so disappointed. I'm so disappointed in Andy Ruiz. You had an opportunity. You had it. You had the you had the game by the balls. And you fucked it up. You fucked it. You pissed it away. You pissed down your own leg. You fool. 
I get so irritated with people and especially fighters. I love this game so much. When you have opportunity, when there's amazing stories, he had an opportunity to change the narrative. And now he's a footnote. He had an opportunity to make Anthony Joshua less than he currently is now is if it was he going away no anthony joshua was never going away but he had an opportunity to solidify himself at the very top of this generation if he beat anthony joshua again we would speak about andy ruiz jr the first mexican heavyweight champion but me being pissed at him isn't the biggest reason why he's a loser the biggest reason why he's a loser is because as much as he lost he had an opportunity for stardom not just any stardom do you see who was there at that event canelo Alvarez, the face of boxing khabib nurmagomedov the face of mma Israel, the last style bender, Adesanya, the other face of MMA. You had superstars there to watch you compete. Superstars, legitimate monsters that are there. And then you would have been put in the same breath as these monsters. He would have been known as the boogeyman of this generation. He had it. He had him right there. He let him off the hook. I, I bring him up all the time. The late, great Dennis Green, the former coach in the Minnesota Vikings, when they got housed in 2006 by the Chicago Bears, they were who we thought they were, and we let him off the hook. Andy Ruiz, you let him off the hook, fam. He did, man. It's unfortunate, but it's the reality of the thing. Uh, Andy Ruiz Jr. Not only is he the biggest loser of this weekend, he might be the biggest loser of the year. All right. Yo. With that being said, everybody, this has been episode 169 of the Fight Podcast, our weekend recap. Yo, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys as always for paying attention. Remember, each and every week, the Fight Podcast is brought to you guys by our sponsor, Sage Eats. If you're into healthy meals, if you're in Chicago, even if you're not, 10% off your first three months, check out Sage Eats, www.sageeatchicago.com, and also checking them out on all social media platforms at Sage Eats. And don't forget to check me out at Serge Vicente, the underground king and tell your friends about the greatest combat sports and culture show in the entire universe you know what it is it's the fight podcast yo this has been episode 169 we'll be back this week with interviews we'll be back this week with fight news and we'll be back with boxing commentary man i love you guys as always this is serge vicente the underground king this has been episode 169. Love you guys. Hasta la vista. Deuces. Deuces.